0: Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome to Pollock and Thurston here on July the 13th. I am John Pollock, and joining us from WrestleNomics HQ, it is Brandon Thurston, who is here, live from Buffalo. Hello, Brandon. Yes. Hi. How are you? The home of Raw this past week, which That's you did right. not attend.
1: Yes. I did I Did not. I was not among the 9,000 or so tickets distributed.
0: Yes. that You know, the unofficial rule is once you hit 9,000, you get something to pander to the city, and that is what Seth Rollins had to do coming out with Buffalo Wings. I did see that. To open up Raw. I mean, how endearing to your city, or... Would this have been a collective groan for my, most Buffalo natives I, I don't know I had it on mute I, I imagine it got over though
1: um Chris call was there in person so he'll be he did go all about that on on Sunday I expect
0: okay well we will look forward to a, to a live report from a Chris callo talking about uh raw and you can find nomics every Sunday patreon.com right. slash wrestlenomics so uh much like uh the bloodline spiking quarter hours nomics, spiking those patreon numbers surpassing 500 let's get them continuing to to soar brandon thurston continuing to be a draw in the wrestling media space so every sunday check them out 11 yes. a.m that, that that's still there the the business is on fire and uh so is wrestlenomics business yes sure. uh i also I, uh, several sources have indicated to me a real big guest coming to the gentleman's wrestling podcast in the coming weeks But I can't can't reveal who yet, but maybe Jesse Collins. He will will break that news. But we have a great guest joining us today. Uh, You can see all of her work up on YouTube. She has her own substack that we'll talk about. And from Digital Spy, we're talking about the great Stephanie Chase, who is joining us on a Wednesday evening, UK time. Stephanie, thanks so much for making some time to join us, and welcome to the program.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's 8 p.m. here in Liverpool, which is a really perfect time for me. So thank you.
0: We have. Uh, there was a lot of stuff I wanted to chat with you about. Uh, you wrote uh, what I thought was just a tremendous article last week that seemed to get a ton of attention. First of all, uh, can you just talk a little bit about what went into uh, writing this? And was this something that had sort of been building for you, talking about women in the, in the wrestling media space that I think was uh, probably eye-opening to a lot of people that either are not in the media space or just have not uh, experienced the same things you have?
2: Um, Well, yeah, firstly, thank you, you know, for your comments about my article. That really means a lot. Um, I wrote it. It was, it was based on um, a particular incident that happened, you know, that I mentioned in the article. um, And that really, that drove me to write it at that time. But as far as, you know, my actual Reasons for writing it were a lot of things that had been building up you know I've been in the not just the wrestling media space but the wrestling space for a long time as like first as a fan and then um, as someone that tried for a little bit to wrestle and then as someone in the media um, and I did and have experienced a lot of things that I felt my male counterparts haven't um, and that just really aren't talked about the, the differences of being a woman in the business, uh, compared to being a man. So when the particular incident that I mentioned in the article happened to me, I started thinking about everything that I'd experienced. And at the same time, I'd been thinking a lot about like, kind of, why am I here? Like, <laughs> why am I in, in this business? Um, was something that had been playing on my mind for the past year or so. Like, what am I here to do? And I kept coming back to maybe I'm here to talk about things from a unique perspective, the perspective of a woman and stuff that I've been through. And I thought that I should start actually, you know, rather than just doing a few tweets about a few things, like actually write something that may resonate with a lot of people and, um, you know, help them or encourage them that they could relate to. Um, and maybe, you know, people that it didn't resonate with, but like men could read it and maybe get a little bit of more of an understanding or get a conversation going. So that's really why I wrote it, to put this kind of stuff out there and, and put it in the conversation more because it's um, it's it's very different, I think, being a woman in the wrestling media space and to being a man. I think we encounter a lot of different things.
1: So I was looking up the the viewership data just to make sure. It, it is still about one third, at least U.S. TV viewership data. About one one third uh, of the audience are women. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, it's been apparent since I've been doing this regularly since about twenty fifteen or so. It's definitely not one third women in wrestling media. Um, yeah. I have some, some some guesses why that might be, but I was wondering if you have some
2: um, I think firstly, like wrestling media is super hard to get into you know I'm really lucky to find digital spy a place that was covering wrestling um, get a job with them you know I started as an entertainment news reporter with them I saw that they covered wrestling and was like hey I've been writing about wrestling on my own and I would love to do that for you and they ended up saying like yeah sure it'd be great having someone that could actually just cover that so it's super hard to get into so anything that's really hard for everyone to get in I think um, extra extra hard for women too, and um, but I think as well it's it's kind of hard to go about things the same way that men do. Maybe I think that a lot of um, you know men that I talk to they maybe get their interviews or get their sc- scoops by directly approaching. You know, a lot of wrestlers can DM a wrestler, stuff like that. I think it's kind of probably a bit different if I start. DMing a lot of wrestlers than if, um, a male writer does, I think it can come across different, uh, it can lead to different things. Um, so I think maybe that's a bit of a barrier that it's kind of maybe harder for women to know just how do I actually get into this? How do I get a start? Like how do I make connections? I think making connections is super hard. It's something that I find you, you, I, I think when i started i was like very naive and then i realized later like how much you kind of have to have your guard up with people um and be sure of people's intentions so i can understand that things like that might be a little bit of a barrier to to women getting in but i think in general just wrestling is on the media side just super hard to get a job into so there are going to be fewer fewer women doing it
0: you also uh posted some of the, the like negative responses you got to this article and when you yeah. are putting your work out there are comments like that rare are they common um because you know it's it's comments that i don't care how much someone disagrees with me i don't think i'm getting like that level of of scrutiny and and responses like that and i think that's something that i just i can't put myself I- in your shoes but how, how common are comments like that
2: um, yeah, they can be pretty common when not just when you write something like that, but like when you say anything that that someone disagrees with. Um, they're first if they're the type of person that's going to leave these comments and be combative like that, the first thing they're going to do is find a way to discredit you. Um, and I think that the male trolls find it easier to try and discredit women. They just jump to like anything about your appearance is for a game or anything about how you present yourself is just a way that they think completely discredits what you're saying. You know, if I'm writing a serious piece that I really believe in about the the treatment of women in media or um, how we can be disrespected because like, the lack of respect was a big part of my article, then you get these people being like, well, of course you don't get respect. I can see cleavage in your photos. Um, um, and that kind of thing um, is unfortunately like a response that I see a lot of people think that that's that, you know, just because of how you look or how some of your pictures might be that that's why you shouldn't be taken seriously or why you should deserve bad treatment or people thinking less of you or thinking that they can um, disrespect you, take advantage of you or think that your intentions aren't truly professional. But I I mean, I just see all that stuff uh, as total garbage. Like it is hurtful to read some of the stuff, but at the same time, I do think that if you're the kind of person that is going to discredit me based anything on, on what I look like or anything else I post, then I don't really have, have time for you at all. And um, I do wish a lot of the, a lot of people, when they make negative comments, especially when it comes to appearance or women's presentation, would just maybe think more about how they would feel if this was said to like any of the women that they care about in in their life. Because I think a lot of times people aren't able to to see that or or think of, of it from that perspective.
1: I was uh, in in addition to to directly hostile stuff uh, that women <clears> in <throat> wrestling media get. I was thinking I listened to this philosophy podcast. So it was a philosophy student and they were talking about how the, in in the uh, academics and humanities, the philosophy departments are overwhelmingly dominated by men. And maybe part of that is because of it's, it's a debate and and men are more socialized to be good at debate and maybe women are more socialized to be good mm-hmm. at conflict resolution. And that stuck out to me is maybe having some similarities to wrestling media where we, we got to have the takes and argue with yeah. each other about who's the best wrestler in the world right now and who's going to win the award and stuff like that. So, does that sound right to you?
2: Yeah, I can maybe, I can maybe see that. Um, I think maybe um, it's partly that um, and partly how, hard it can be sometimes to you know argue your your takes when it's mostly men arguing back at you and kind of being like shouted it down a bit um and i think sometimes when you put certain takes out there or or even talk about your experiences you know like i did it's seen as like a a woman thing like this woman complaining this woman shouting about this um and that can certainly be a reason to make you think, you know, not to do it. Um, but I think, yeah, even sometimes when I say certain things about about wrestling, it's like, oh, what does this girl know? Or this girl likes this wrestler because of that. And it can almost make you, like, stop and think sometimes before, like, even saying anything. And I think, like, yeah, a lot of the this space is um, – not maybe, not maybe the journalism space, but, like, say, the YouTuber hot take space is definitely dominated by, like, a lot of very loud, shouty men that I think, yeah, you I would think twice about kind of wanting to be a part of that.
0: How have you found the, you know, as WWE has certainly got a lot more serious about its female <laughs> presentation over the last seven or eight years, like, what have you noticed has that has that permeated? Has that changed w- with the fan base over these years? Like, how have you acknowledged that? Because I, tr- I try to imagine a social media world in 1999 and how that was, yeah. how females were being presented at that time. And for a lot of these male fans, that is what they grew up on and is sort of the, the mindset they are locked in as they are consuming pro wrestling.
2: Yeah, that that's a huge problem. Like, a lot of the... Um... There's a lot of fans that are from the started watching in the same era that I did, which was, you know, just before the attitude era and the stuff we saw there, like how bad it was. And now things have got um, a lot better with how WWE presents women. Um, There's so many more women on social media as wrestling fans. I think for me, the first kind of real big shift I saw was like when Bailey was on NXT and how many young like children that she that she brought along. And I thought that was such a big deal. Um, so there is there is a lot more female voices there on, on social media. And I think the younger male fans are more respective of women's wrestling than they ever have been in the past. And the ones who definitely started watching during that, women's revolution era, the Triple H NXT era definitely take it a lot more seriously than maybe some of the older ones who are still living with the, you know, the idea of the presentation that they grew up with um, that happened in the attitude era. Like we have a, we have a lot to get over when it comes to, to the stuff that happened in the attitude era, you know, still.
0: I also want to just read this, uh, this quick portion from your article and you can read this mm-hmm. at StephanieChase.substack.com. I, definitely recommend people to check this out but you wrote speaking out is not wrestling's past when it happened i saw many men want to jump to be the ones who were seen as supportive and helpful but at the, as the years have gone on many have stood down i know there were so many who wanted to be my friend help me professionally and see be seen as a champion of women's voices but once they ticked that box then they thought they could close the chapter on it and i thought it was you summarize it really well about Speaking out, not being wrestling's past. It's almost as though it's like the COVID of pro wrestling that all of a sudden one yeah. day we woke up and everything was cured. And what, 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 what are we talking about here? As we yeah. are now three years removed uh, from speaking out first, um, surfacing, what would you say, especially you being based in the UK, where I think that was sort of ground zero of the movement of where you see the, the industry right on the ground there and what has been learned from it and what still needs to be um, front of mind and steps that still remain to be taken.
2: So that, the particular bit that you wrote out, that was um, something I've been thinking about a lot because I can tell you that when speaking out happened, there was some months um, where it seemed like every, every guy, was your was your friend um, and wanted wanted to help you and I think at that time there were so many you know offers coming in from places of of guys just wanting to have to be seen as a person that was giving a female voice um, a platform and there was so much tokenism and then it did all seem to die down and the conversation about speaking out died down and there's you know some people who are still in the wrestling space who whose names were out there that we just you know accept it like they're here. Um, and the, it's hard because the particular incident that I wrote about, you know, was was tied to speaking out. It, it all started to do with a wrestler named being being brought back and the transparency over the in the investigation and. I do feel like we're at the point now where the idea is more: how can we, how can we make everyone accept that someone is is back in the business, rather than actually, you know, consider if they really should be or or if everyone wants them to be. Um, and I think that there are not enough women being given a voice in these conversations because the. The industry itself um, is very male-dominated. It's men at the heads of organizations making the decisions. Um, And that was the reason why I felt particularly strongly um, at the time when I wrote, wrote the article. So I think that we need to still think about speaking out as something that we are actively Trying to make the wrestling world like a better place, and not just think about it as like we cleaned up. We cleaned up the whole industry because I really don't think that we did. Um, and from what I've seen, I don't think that that is totally true. That yeah, this is a, a great place where there's where there's where there's full equality and where women are totally safe, um, whether it be safe to just exist or speak. So. I think there's so much that we could still be doing um, and still just having that conversation and making sure that women are always part of the conversation when we're talking about like um, wrestler safety, you know, what goes on. And even other things about women's like booking and presentation, um, whatever, I just really would love to know that there are women's voices always being heard. But yeah, speaking out is definitely not not part of the past. And it is, I think still a big issue in the UK.
1: Yeah, and, and certainly when it comes to creative, I, I know there are, there have been, I don't know about currently, but there have been some writers who are women on the, on the W writing team. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lawsuit involving one of them uh, yeah. that came up recently. Um, when, it, when it comes to AEW, I, th- I think you asked on the most recent media call, uh, Tony, yeah. about whether there were, there were women involved in creative and uh, he, he named a, a couple of coaches who are women, uh, but it's mm-hmm. it's clearly him and, and maybe a few guys that he's listening to. so I don't know that it's that it's improved that much as far as women having a real influence on creative
2: no that that um, I really wanted to ask Tony about that because you do you know you hear about the, the men that are helping like moxley and and Brian and Jericho and um I know he mentioned um Sarah stock and Madison Reyn who yeah our coaches rather than, than being in creative. And um, I actually did, I listened to the where you talked about this, Brandon, and I think uh, it was Jesse who said that, you know, we know that Tony is like the main person that makes all the decisions. So, you know, it's a really like a, a conversation to be had about who else is in there. Um, and I think there very much is. And I do think back to what, Meg said a couple of years ago about about representation um, and how all that went down, and she was saying that there wasn't someone there that she could see backstage creatively helping that you know represented her or she felt that she could relate to, um, and at the time that kind of went bad because Tony like you know fired back about the people in the company like himself um, and Mega showing the diversity, but that's it's not what she was talking about. She was talking about like what's happening with the lawsuit um, involving, I think her name is Brit- Brittany Abrahams, um, the WWE writer. Right. And she, you know, she was saying how important it was for her to give a voice to someone like Bianca Beller, her writing for Bianca and Bianca, they can relate to each other. And even with her being in the room, there was still a lot of stuff that was getting shot down or not communicated properly. So. With Tony, he may have the final say on the booking and everything like that. And that's totally fine. But I think that there should be some female voices in that room that are able to write for the women and help the women develop develop their characters because the women in AW definitely don't get anywhere near the screen time. That are equal to men. And maybe if he had some, you know, women there helping craft good storylines for them, that would help the entire division. And I look at someone like Sky Blue, for example, who's just at the beginning of her career. And I think, like, I hope there's someone backstage really helping Sky Blue that can relate to or know what it's what it's like to be Sky Blue at one point in their life. Like I hope it's not, you know, a man in their fifties trying to coach her who may be like a brilliant wrestler or, or brilliant promo, but doesn't necessarily get the perspective that, that someone like her is coming from. So that's why I wanted to ask Tony the question, because I think, you know, if this was a, a normal TV show with a diverse cast, you would of course be asking who's in the writer's room other than the showrunner that represents everyone. And, you know, if we don't have any, women represent it right and you end up with something like the idol right now <laughs> that's what that's what it shows like when they're when the women are shut out of the conversation you know so um i really do hope that that there are women there backstage that are helping with these things
0: one thing that that ties a lot of this together along with the kind of uh, present situation in the uk is something that that came out of speaking out and that was the all-party parliamentary group on wrestling yeah and i i was looking up like when they launched this in 2021 and they placed all of these recommendations, and a lot of it was in response to speaking out. We fast forward to today, and you know, this is a group that is, you know, they were quoted in the uh, BBC about helping WWE get WrestleMania into London. How would you assess this group, Stephanie? And have the has that mandate somewhat switched where? I mean, from the outside looking in, it feels as though this was something that was designed for sort of safeguards towards pro wrestling. And now it's like working hand in hand with pro wrestling companies. And I think that's a difficult line to balance.
2: Yeah, this, the, the all parliamentary group, uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're a, a, a bit of a controversial group, shall we say, like they were started when speaking out happened. Um, I Personally, don't think from what I know and what I've heard that they were really taking everyone into account. I think that there were some companies and, and groups that, that jumped on them and maybe some of the people that helped you know, set it up were involved there. And when it comes to anything to do with speaking out, um, I feel like they went quickly quite quiet on that and turned into very much like in a partnership with WWE and that's kind of what makes me quite uncomfortable about them. You know, it was, they've been in parliament mentioning clash of the castle. And now they were giving these quotes to the BBC about WrestleMania coming to London. And when it comes to that, I'm like, should London really be bidding to host WrestleMania at any time? Um, Not, we, not when we're a country that's having an economic crisis, not when the politician talking about it to the BBC is a Labour politician and is hooking up with WWE who don't let workers unionize. It seems like think a real conflict on of interest. Yeah, and they, they smile a lot when they're, you know, <laughs> comped WWE tickets to events, I think. Um, and they we have all in coming to the UK and it hasn't cost the UK anything. There's going to be well over 70,000 people there. And that's something that they've in no way celebrated as much as they will anything to do with WWE. Um, but I think also the, the quotes by them were picked up a lot. And I, I think there's maybe kind of like a slight misunderstanding of what their actual power is. Is as far as making anything happen. Um, they're they're just a, like a parliamentary think group. These these groups don't really have any, you know, real say in anything. They can certainly stand in parliament and say it'd be great for for WrestleMania to come to London, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. But I would like if I saw them, I would like them to appear less just as the the group that wants to promote WWE and actually more, you know, help. Wrestling in general. It's it is pretty wild to be so backing this WrestleMania campaign and be uh, so silent on AW, like other than just throwing it in a couple of times, you know.
1: It it sounds a little bit like the, the relationship between WWE and the Concussion Legacy Foundation, the Kristen Winsky yeah. Foundation that was you know doing research on, on and is doing research on CTE and and I think Paul Beck has really embraced the organization. I'm mm-hmm. struggling to think of examples, but I'm pretty sure that's happened. And coincidentally yeah. or not, since that's happened, we haven't really heard about more wrestlers who worked in WWE having CTE.
2: Yeah. I think because the group were formed after speaking out, and it seemed like a response to speaking out, and then maybe being from the UK um, and knowing a lot more people, um, I think some of the associations that they make are not ones that I would have made it if I was um, making a group after, after speaking out to, to look out for wrestling. Um, and even the WWE connection is a little bit sus when it comes to that too.
0: What are you looking at in terms of like, let's, let's throw the, 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 the subsidy option. And that might ultimately be enough that WWE would not pursue it any further, but Mm -hmm. I mean, like, what do you see as the ceiling of what a WrestleMania, a two-night event can do uh, in London at a Wembley Stadium or a venue of similar size?
2: Uh, It's hard to know what the ceiling is now with what AEW has done because WWE certainly has a lot more presence in the UK than AEW, and AEW has managed to sell, you know, around 70,000 tickets now. So I think WWE... Could certainly equal or beat whatever um, record that that AEW sets. Um, they did really well with Clash at the Castle. I think that was around like sixty five thousand tickets, maybe. Um, so I don't think that there, there's any ceiling for it because there's such a huge appetite in the UK for wrestling and there's so many, and that extends to the whole of Europe and people that can travel. So I think if they, you know, were to commit to wrestling or an event bigger than clash at the castle, they could certainly like sneak up to whatever AW is going to do with Wembley. But I think unless they get Wembley as as a venue, I think it's going to be really hard to beat whatever record it is that AW eventually lands on uh, after all and is over.
1: Yeah, That's what somebody told me when, this, this story started that it's going to be hard to find mm-hmm. a location because of yeah. the, because of a, a football schedule, I should say. I'm talking to someone from UK, mm-hmm. okay, I better say football, not soccer. But, and so I, yeah, I mean, does that sound right? That if they, if they do it in, in April, it'll be, it'll be hard to do it anywhere but Wembley and Wembley, if they don't play football at Wembley that much?
2: Yeah. I'm not too sure about how much um, football goes. I'm not a football expert at all, but yeah, I do imagine that they'd find it hard to, to have a location. And then if they, if they pick Wembley, you've got like that direct comparison to AW. Um, I mean, like I don't know if you've seen the the ads that AW are running about Wembley where they're like, Yes, we mean it, it's Wembley. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and and that is kind of maybe the feeling of just how crazy it is that they're actually, you know, running this this stadium um is like beyond belief. So I I would be I would be surprised though if, if WWE like jumped into Wembley like right after AEW did it because if they do fail to sell as many tickets then that wouldn't be the kind of headlines that they would want at all
0: as well uh when you look at that that week I would say like there's such a golden opportunity here for AEW like you have the huge stadium show and I'm curious to see how much like mainstream coverage they can get that week leading into it like if i'm AEW yeah. i'm offering everybody a, but <laughs> what do you think is like the appetite for AEW to kind of outlets that are not typically covering pro wrestling like do you think like this will be enough of an event that crosses over and can get them a lot of attention that is usually reserved for WWE and nothing else when it comes to wrestling
2: I think they can get a huge amount of attention um for it i think maybe the problem will be that and I I think this is kind of the same in America too. When people don't know about wrestling, they see wrestling as just WWE. So you're bringing on these AW wrestlers and you have to explain that they're not wrestling in WWE, but there, there is so much that they could do to publicize this in the UK. Um, I do have a worry if they're capable of doing it um, because I'm not sure like how, well, their their structures are in place when it comes when it comes to media um, and media relations. Like I've not seen that much promotion for it uh, in the UK yet, I and mean, I'm sure that will ramp up as we get closer to it. But as far as like getting people on TV shows and and stuff like that, um, I wonder how good they're going to be at doing that because I certainly feel like with my experience working in the UK that they do kind of neglect the UK quite a bit but now suddenly they're coming over for this big all-in show so they're going to have to really like ramp that up but I'm I don't know I'd I'd worry about how much they the structure that they have in place when it comes like media relations and PR and everything to actually like make the most of this massive opportunity that they have with the Wembley show in the UK to make the UK like aw second home which they could really do with like just on the back of this show
1: and and tony makes this point all the time right that in the uk the most watched wrestling show is dynamite because it's on itv which is a big network Mm -hmm. as opposed to wb on bt sport but even despite that that difference in the power of the networks that they're on it's still wb that that dominates in the uk
2: yeah yeah it's still wwe like you see you know most reported on you see like we just when they were over for money in the bank and damian priest was on like a sunday morning cooking show like the next day stuff like that and wwe is the the wrestling that people know um as far as like the viewership figures are obviously really good um it's It is weird how it's showing in the UK, though. It's like on ITV2 and every week it's going to be at a different time and stuff like that. So I'm not sure like how many people are actually like that engaged with knowing that, you know, AW is on that channel. I think that they probably have way more viewers like on fight than they actually do watching it on ITV. My impression
1: from being on Twitter is that all UK viewers are watching live on fight.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah like that. That's my impression too about about UK that morning, it comes right? from comes from fight. Yeah, at one in the morning or replaying it. But um, you know, it's it's WWE merch that you see in shops. Um, the AW figures we did have them for a while and then they disappeared and now apparently they're back but I haven't seen that many but um, it is WWE is just what people in the UK that that aren't following wrestling like know and it's what you know anyone you talk to that's not watching wrestling right now what they know of is is WWE in the Attitude Era that was so huge over here too but they at least with being on ITV like that's a really good foothold, and hopefully like that can help them get on other big ITV shows to promote, um, promote the show and to promote themselves too.
0: Well, Stephanie, we definitely want to thank you for, uh, for jumping on with us and chatting about uh, all of these topics. Again, I would encourage people to go uh, to stephaniechase.substack.com and uh, where else can people uh, find out your work and I'm sure tons of coverage in the lead up and including all in at the end of August.
2: Yeah, um, you can go follow me on Twitter at Stephanie and you can go to YouTube and it's Stephanie Chase Wrestling and you'll find like lots of interviews and lots of talk about All In and stuff like that uh, and Dynamite Reviews over there.
0: Yeah, great review recently of Fight Forever. That was my primer. Yeah. We, <laughs> had, we had Mike Straw on the show. I was like, I oh, really to learn about this game? And uh, I relied on uh, Stephanie's review of, of the game where I learned um, that you can customize your... Female performer to be misses, but not Ms. Mm-hmm. That that is what I learned. Yeah. So what, not, what um, I will seasons?
2: not comment on that or read into that <laughs> in AEW. But
0: yes. <laughs> well, thanks very much, Stephanie, for for joining us. We'll definitely do this again sometime.
2: Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you,
0: Stephanie. All right, that was Stephanie Chase uh, joining us. A great article that you uh, wrote uh, that you can go check out, and we might have a first. On uh, Pollock and Thurston, the dynamite number might come down yes, I as you. we are live, which will be something else. Like one day, one night, we just have to put the camera on Brandon and go through the process of when a number comes down and how you distribute it. You I, I, I've I done mean, some just... trial runs on that,
1: and but then like my my scripts just collapsed, and it was a whole
0: ordeal. Oh, but boy. but someday, yes. Well, we don't want to we would, we don't want to put you through uh, t- too much. But the well, thing is, comes with down, no show but, bliss, there's no there's our there, there are fewer scripts involved <laughs> than there were in the past. Well, I I am learning all about your, uh, your your scripting and such, and uh, I mean, man, the uh, the things you learned being around uh, Brandon Thurston, the man is on top of all of this. But we have a a couple of topics to go through, and you know, I think we should start with this uh, potential, and we should emphasize potential. Change in pay per view strategy for AEW with a report that came uh, from Fightful Select. Um, that reads, Warner Brothers Discovery sources confirmed to Fightful Select that one of the major proposals from their end to AEW as it relates to an extension is the subject of pay per view events. Specifically, a WBD source told Fightful that they mentioned the very likely possibility of significantly expanding the AEW pay per view schedule, even to one a month. We're told that this is something that Warner Brothers Discovery has wanted. We aren't, we aren't sure on if those would be standalone or included in a max streaming deal as WBD sources would not elaborate. On that, And again, that's from Fightful Select. But I mean, this is something that always comes up, Brandon, is what is the appetite for more pay-per-view content? And especially if you're talking about a streaming deal, like what that would mean if you could just get a guaranteed amount per month that would work very much in the same way the UFC uh, system is with ESPN Plus. But I mean, AEW seems to be of it. It's funny that we watch the the television hours just increase, increase, increase. But with pay per views, Tony has kind of held that hard line, save for adding in Forbidden Door since twenty nineteen.
1: Yeah. I mean the, the lesson of pay-per-view in the nineties when they added it in your house was that you know you would get about the same number of people buying it regardless of what you priced it at. And I think the W network sort of reinforced that the notion that there was there was about a million there were about a million people that would buy a pay per view at max in, in terms of like WrestleMania and you don't you don't multiply that by six times by cutting the price into one sixth. So, so anyway, there's a pretty captive audience that regardless of what you price it at, or maybe even the frequency that they're kind of, they're willing to, to buy. And as you said, the d- d- AWS stuck to four. I, I think we're at the point now, if you add forbidden door and maybe all in, now you have sort of six, what we might call peak event brands. So that's, that's covering half the year. Maybe they'll do all in again. And I've moved talked last Sunday about how maybe All-In is, is this stadium brand, and it goes back to the history of, of the first All-In and all that. Maybe that ends up being AW's biggest events annually, because none of these other four certainly have stood out as being any any more high-profile than the other. Um, the Forbidden Door has drawn a lot of interest for interpromotional reasons. Um, what
0: do you think uh, Forbidden Door would have done in, in Toronto if, say, it was at, at the Rogers Center? Like, do you think it would have been like the demand would have been? Say, could they have topped thirty thousand for that yeah, show? Thir-
1: thirty is the number that comes to mind first because I, th- I think just the notion of doing it at a stadium. It depends on what they're all in is on the horizon uh, at Wembley Stadium. I, th- I think at that point too, because um, I think knowing that that show is out there and that show is going to be bigger than than what a Rogers Center show w- would be diminished is how, how big that that moment would be but i think just being there for history has been a a big drawing component for whether it was the first all-in or the the new japan ring of honor madison square garden show uh being present for history has been you know with with no matches announced these
0: these shows have sold out Um, it's wanting to be there for something that you know will be of significance i agree that's to me been a huge hook and specific to AEW. but so i can see
1: pay-per-view being one, one component for Max, if they're looking at Peacock, and it seems to be working out for Peacock, you know, we can say whether or not Peacock is working out. But but W is definitely one of the positive stories around Peacock, and maybe they want, uh, you know, they they take lesson from that in terms of adding AEW to Max. And I think pay per view would would be only one component, including next day rights, which have not been monetized at all by AEW. I think that's something that we we rarely talk about when we talk about AEW's next TV deal. But that next day rights, which you know the the counterpart part in WWE's world is Hulu, which is you know they're probably making a few million dollars at least from having those rights on Hulu. So I think there's something there uh, in addition to pay per view that perhaps will be on Max. And the big question continues to be where will all in be broadcast. I'm leaning yeah. back towards Max.
0: Yeah, I mean we're we're inching closer and closer. Like you would think, like this, uh, we've got to be imminent at some point. If it's not Max. Where is it? Like you're, you're looking at traditional pay-per-view, aren't you? Right. Like there's no way this is airing on, on TNT or TBS. I just think that would just be, I think that would be a for free on YouTube or something, I guess is another option. I mean, it's just uh, at that point, like, what what are we talking about here? I mean, another interesting point to this is the, the idea of like, what is like, is your ceiling? Are you looking at? coming back to pay-per-view every four weeks because that will certainly change the the booking style of AEW and you've also got just you still have this albatross maybe that's too strong a word but ring of honor of like where this really fits into the picture because at this point as long as there is not a buyer out there for ring of honor it sort of just becomes this thing that is this excess content that we produce and if you're looking at going to 12 pay-per-views and still continuing this roh model it just sort of gets to a point where like at what point are we looking there will be some diminishing returns in all of this and ring of honor to me just seems like a brand that it's existing until something more meaningful comes along that they can capitalize on yeah i mean i guess it's fine for
1: Adding, yes, you know, it's, it's. I'm sure it's the, the most lucrative event for for Ring of Honor, both in terms of ticket sales and in terms of the pay per view that it adds to it. Um, but you didn't, you didn't need need Ring of Honor to develop a secondary brand that's, you know, that that serves as developmental. Um, but you don't the video library that comes with it. And I guess, I don't know would that video library be something that could potentially be on max. But, but I think part of that fightful report is that, you know, WBD was not necessarily interested in, in ring of honor. And that even goes back to before Tony bought it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I hope Tony didn't pay too much for it, but it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's, it's,
0: it's something extra among all the other wrestling content you've got to watch. Well, uh, in terms of ratings notes, uh, we can go through some of the highlights over the, the past couple of nights. I would say like the most significant number uh, came out of SmackDown, where you can always get the uh, the quarter-hour reports over at uh, patreon.com slash wrestlenomics. And sometimes these uh, quarter-hour performances will get referenced by Don Callis in a promo on Dynamite. Uh, but last Friday, we saw one of the most successful segments in years for WWE – The show kicked off with the trial of Roman Reigns, and this went approximately 35 minutes. And that second quarter topped 3 million viewers and more than 1.2 million in the 18 to 49 demographic. I mean, just a gigantic spike for this bloodline segment that just continues the like the true like movers when it comes to any professional wrestling uh, story like it is this one by a landslide and this is i would say the most successful one that they have produced so far
1: yeah to, to put it in perspective I have, I have no data point that's as high as three million since this is only going back to like early 2022 so if you're curious i guess that the christmas 2020 one would would probably touch it because most of that that sh- that show I think in actually was over three million, but uh, it's it it was huge. And in terms of the the quarter to quarter growth, uh, it was something like twenty nine percent I think in the demo from the prior quarter because it's, it's
0: the second quarter that yeah, they jumped it, from nine fifty six to one million two hundred twenty nine thousand. So it was yeah, like th- this was just it was a long segment, but it was just. Just and game. no ads, benefit of no ads in that, in that second quarter. But that, that is such
1: an astonishing quarter to quarter growth rate right? that it's, it's like few quarters I've ever seen. And again, the, the most viewership that I've seen since reporting all this stuff since early 2022 and the demo alone over 1 million viewers. So like, just to put it in perspective, not to make an AW comparison, but uh, to make an AW comparison, uh, you know, Dynamite does well under a million viewers most weeks. And I, I can't think of the last time. They did a million views. It's been many weeks, uh, more than a million viewers just in the demo for
0: SmackDown uh, during that segment. When you look at a, a, you know, something like this, and this is going to be, you cannot replicate this too easily unless it was another like significant bloodline segment. But it, you can certainly see, based on the last couple of weeks with, with Dynamite, they are focusing a lot more on out of the ring segments, not just simply. Uh, bell to bell, quick, quick interview. Do you look at AEW as this is a signal of something that we can capitalize on or that people want the alternative and we should not be trying to replicate what is working so well with WWE? Because it does seem like at least Dynamite, um, they are experimenting more with instead of like, it just seemed to be uh, a fear of going without, bell to bell ring action for any significant period of time. And now that's lessened. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not what AEW was sold at
1: from day one, right? Being this more sports like presentation of wrestling. I I have to admit, that's not what I want from wrestling in in, in terms of being not sports. Like I want, I want an alternative that I wasn't getting from WWE in in terms of respecting the, the notion that this is a, a a pseudo sport, but we're going to treat it like a sport and we're not embarrassed to do it. Um, We've seen, you know, we have a world title program here with MJF and, and Adam Cole that's involving video gameplay and hanging out at the bar. Uh, so that's what we saw last night. We'll see if it, it's done okay. It's not like it, those quarters have crashed in terms of the quarter hour ratings. I, I don't see them as being big jumpers either, but it hasn't been a, a negative and it's been a minor positive, I would say.
0: The fourth week of Collision. Which had Samoa Joe and CM Punk? They did five hundred eighty thousand viewers. Point two one in the demo. So this was a a major rebound from Hamilton, which is um, poor Hamilton. I feel they're going to be a punchline for for a while. Uh, wh- when do you expect the uh, the return dates to Hamilton? What year? About a year from now. Mm, I, I don't. Well, know. I don't know about Hamilton, but they'll go back to
1: to Southern Ontario about a year from now. I think. Um, maybe not Hamilton though.
0: So you look at point uh, two one for Joe versus punk would this be after four weeks is this considered um sort of the range you would hope for a collision to hit or is this or is this under what you feel is um you know the the satisfactory level because yes this is above what is traditionally in this slot but at the same time this is you know a lot of resources are going into this show do you look at a 0.21 as a good number a great number or is it still below what you would expect your Number two show to be, or one B really to dynamite. Yeah, no, I think that's very good. Two, two, one, and
1: nearly six hundred thousand viewers total is is just about what the second episode did. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when there's not a CM Punk match again, because I mean, we do have last week, and, and apparently that was my read is that okay? It's, it's the holiday affected that episode greatly. Maybe no Punk match. I know he was on commentary, but maybe no no Punk match affected it. Um, but, but Raw the which was closer to the holiday, you know, that Raw was on Monday. The holiday was on Tuesday. NXT got crushed on the holiday.
0: Raw did an okay number on that Monday, despite being one day removed from the holiday. Did very well. When you look at other, you know, ones that coincide with, with, with the holiday, like they, they held up really well. Um, yeah. you know, SmackDown of course, did that tremendous number on, on the Friday. You're a little bit more removed from that. Um, I just think like that, that collision in Hamilton, I think the, sure, the lack of a punk match hurt. It also just, it did not feel like a must-see show going in that weekend. I I don't think anyone was stunned when that number was so low. And we will see this weekend. You have you do have punk in a prominent match. You have the finals of this tournament. And again, it's like there are going to be weeks that CM Punk cannot wrestle. You cannot rely on this like this is this show that is very much concentrated on one individual. And for the long term it it needs to have those legs that a CM Punkless collision is something that can sustain itself, uh, w- without its, its prime performer. And then Fightful did have a report about what WBD would be happy
1: with in terms of the performance of collision. And I believe they reported number five or better If it's in the top five. That's pretty good. And, and just coincidentally enough, both of these, uh, both this most recent episode on July 8th and the second episode back on June 24th, both ranked number five on cable. Um, so, I, I mean, that, that logically, that, that makes sense. The, the ranking among all of cable or all of TV is, you know, it, it's putting it in the context of what television is doing generally, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, I can, I can tell you, though, I, I don't think AEW was getting ranking information, at least immediately, um, until, you know, until this past couple of weeks where, you know, it's been, there's been no show buzz, and we've got Tony Khan tweeting uh, a chart that, that looks
0: kind of like show buzz. Will he be putting out these charts at 4 p.m.? on uh i hope so thursdays and tuesdays <laughs> i i hope so the more more data the better yeah and this this was up against the, the, this past weekend's collision did go up against the uh the, the ufc prelims which were on both abc and espn so um those were simulcast and between both networks um like that was over 1.8 million viewers plus espn plus so man they are just spreading esp or ufc across every platform they can
1: so that so there was more viewers of the same telecast on streaming
0: on ESPN Plus in addition to what it was doing yes. on traditional TV. Yeah, which we saw the numbers for. Yeah. Yes, but no no viewership numbers yet for ESPN Plus. We we await those the the streaming transparency. More big wins for TKO. That is it. So there you go. That was uh, some of the uh, the numbers from the last week and um, and yeah and NXT doing six hundred seventy one thousand point two zero .20. actually out very similar numbers to collision this week outside of like your 50 plus that NXT still has a higher concentration of. But when you look at, I mean, it was, they were fairly close and quite a lot. 35 to 49 is where NXT does edge out uh, collision, but you do have NXT. Certainly these, these main roster cameos have made a difference. That seems to sure. be a regular now moving forward. And no overrun. Can you believe that? That's, That's the first right. Time there was no overrun in like
1: two and a half years. Um, so the main event, which involved what, Finn Balor and Damian Priest did very well, and and Kamala, Kamala Hayes, um, yeah. NXT has gotten. I'm, I'm gonna look at the median age chart right now, but it, median age for M- NXT was about 53 this past Wednesday, and it's really taken a nosedive, which which is a good thing. It is almost the same median age as SmackDown now, which is you know in in the lower mid 50s, about 54. Um, whereas I remember I used to post the um the median age viewer chart. And you know NXT would be up literally at at age sixty, and people would make jokes about how you know it must be all, all people in retirement homes who are watching NXT. But it's gotten a lot younger in the last year or so. It's really trending downward.
0: So there are all of your your latest uh, ratings notes, and we will await the uh, the dynamite figures to uh, to come down at a uh, at a time to be determined based on the uh, the TV ratings gods um, that that exist out there. Well, Nielsen Nielsen will report it at four. So. You never know. It's around four is usually when they come out, but it, some, sometimes it takes a lot of time to get to me. You never know. There was also the note that SmackDown is now being categorized as a entertainment program as opposed to sports. This is the one wrestling show that when they moved to Fox, it was listed as sports programming. It now moves over to entertainment uh, with it being noted. It was the number one entertainment show last week with the point seven six that they drew on Friday. Yeah. I, I not sure why.
1: Um, we did see Michael Mulvihill, who's a great Twitter follow, mm-hmm. who is the, I believe, senior vice president of data analytics for Fox. He's always yes. tweeting ratings. I've retweeted him recently. Um, and he pointed that out, too. He, he He's the one, I guess, who, who this story is, is, is coming from as far as somebody comment, commenting on it publicly. Um, f- previously, SmackDown was categorized as sports. Um, maybe that helped during COVID obviously that was a determination that was made in fall of 2019 when SmackDown moved to Fox Um, but maybe that helps Fox satisfy some carriage fees requirements uh, during COVID when there wasn't a lot of live sports so Fox makes deals with various cable and TV providers uh, promising that we're going to provide you with X hours of whatever it is live sports and there's probably other things maybe entertainment is part of that we're going to provide you with a certain amount of stuff so that if something happens like a worldwide pandemic (laughs) that that prevents us from being able to deliver that we have to go back and renegotiate our deal maybe um so maybe smackdown helps them satisfy some of those requirements um i don't know why they've done this my first speculation would be that well entertainment's cheaper than sports so let's recategorize them as as entertainment because we're, we're renegotiating with them right now uh but it did allow Michael Mulvihill to say, hey, this was the number one, I believe, right, is what he said. It was, this was the number one entertainment show across all of TV. Uh, so maybe there's
0: some selling points like that to it, too. Yeah, you did have soccer going on last week that uh, that was doing very, very well. So, I mean, it does differentiate it. But, I mean, oh. uh, long term, I, I, I don't know how much this uh, affects things other than, I mean, it will. Y- you would think like the biggest threat to uh, SmackDown or Raw numbers, for that matter, are are sports so you can uh, differentiate yourself uh, in that sense so I, I can i can give you the, the dynamite number which is now available um, all right so for context last week they did 855,000 viewers and a 0.29 in the demo so brandon will be uh, furiously calculating the updated dynamite number for wednesday night right L- last week say that again it was 809,000
1: right no 8, i'm looking at two weeks 855. ago 855 eight fifty five uh eight twenty five this is this is so dramatic isn't it eight hundred and twenty five thousand viewers for very aw true. last night on TBS uh three hundred and eighty five thousand viewers in the demo that comes out to a point two nine in the demo so the same so demo.
0: very very same slightly demo. up in the demo and down thirty thousand viewers from last week's average so yes. I mean it's exclusive news here breaking news here courtesy uh, Brandon Thurston at Russell Nomics There I'll you have know. a report the, later. The dynamite so, drop. Maybe we can get this this segment sponsored every every. We'll, we'll go live on Thursdays if if we get a sponsor for this segment. The dynamite drop. What 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 more furious interest is there? Uh,
1: I guess colli- uh, around a, uh, a rating other than a dynamite rating. Maybe a, cl- a collision rating
0: now on Tuesday. that this is perfect. We'll do a Thursday afternoon and a Tuesday. So this is uh, a future plan, perhaps. We'll just build it all around these these, these ratings drops. What what do you find is the uh? I would say the peak was when you had uh, Dynamite and NXT the first couple of months going head to head. I missed out. See, I wasn't covering ratings then. Uh, this is when I was, you know,
1: wrestling more and, or, or or at all. And I didn't relaunch the Patreon and really get into this. Oh, wow. It's definitely now
0: until early pandemic. That was so, when I was furiously getting the, uh, the Canadian numbers out there for people and realized hey you know what, you can, you can yeah. go to the site for these if you, if you would so like that was a, that was a time, but do, do you I, sense I, that I, there's still a big, uh, interest around collision in these early weeks, or do you think this is kind of just settled in how there's crazy least, is your timeline is what I'm asking.
1: I don't, I don't read it. I mean, yeah, there's at least a lot of interest and in, and, in, you know, takes being had about collision. I um, I guess, including by me, but you know, I, I do wonder as, if for like a, as a Russellomics, you know, business. Wow, wow. If I had started a little bit earlier or like a year earlier, it could have been that much more had, but uh, I, I, I doubt that this, that the in, level of interest and in ratings is anything like it was
0: during the one Wednesday night war. I, I imagine at least early on, that was a really big deal. I think, I think that was, you know, certainly the peak of it. And you had just a combination of everything, like your, your two dueling fan bases. I think there was a romanticism going back to people that did not live through the, the Monday night era that, I mean, that would have been a hell of a time for social media before we end. what has your experience been like one week on threats? It's fine. Uh, I am on threads. Uh,
1: BH underscore Thurston is how you can find me on threads. It's fine. I I really need a
0: chronological timeline, though. There's no chronological timeline. There's only the... The the timeline's a bit annoying. I've heard the more sort of accounts you follow, the algorithm does catch up to better cater to you, but the, the timeline is a bit of a mess. Like I go on there, and I've just got a feed of people that I don't want to hear from so i haven't had a remarkable experience on threads it's it's very uh chaos free at the moment i will say that so i like that there's no
1: hostility yet i've only made one ratings tweet though so in fairness uh not sure that's a good sample but yeah on on twitter my experience is you know elon is dying for me to to look at that for you tab and i just don't want to so it's a constant fight with my thumb uh all all the time many many instances per day but i want a chronological timeline and then i have some lists that i follow and you know none of that is possible with threads yet but i imagine they'll have more features as time goes along if this continues to be as
0: popular as it is i mean the very, the, the it's very smart in the sense this this rollout could not have gone better and now you can just slowly introduce like they can announce direct messaging and it's going to be right, like no this mind-blowing thing of oh my god i can direct message now on on threads so and i'm sure the know. dms will be all meta dms like Is is, I don't even
1: know, but uh, Facebook Messenger I think is connected to Instagram DMs. Shows you how little I use these platforms. Yes. Uh, and and maybe is that connected to WhatsApp? I don't
0: use WhatsApp either, so I don't know. You're not on WhatsApp? Well, I
1: have it, but I've never
0: had a need for it, really. Okay, well, it's uh, just another time drain. That's that's what all of these things are. As they are, it's just a messaging app, right? You just it's just a way to message people. It's more global if you have to talk to people. You know, outside the country, right? Yeah, it's um, it, it's good for that. I understand a lot of uh, a lot of luchadors rely on WhatsApp. That's what I'm told. Yeah, so if sure. you want to tap into to that community, that's where to go. But where you can go every single Sunday and throughout the week is patreoncom WrestleNomics to follow Brandon and uh, all of his great work. Uh, is is Sunday too far out for you? What are we, what are we going to be doing? Are we going to be doing a, a deep dive into creative? All your opinions on every wrestling storyline that's uh, going on, we'll get a deep breakdown. No, never. Um, None. we have, um, let's see here.
1: We have some of what we've talked about already. I don't know. I've got some Wembley slides in here, but it'll all, it'll come together as, as the days go on here. It's like, maybe uh, some, uh, some attendance about, um, so I've, got, I've started a write up on, um, just sort of expanding on a tweet that I made last night about comparing what the TV attendances were for WWE now compared to, what George Barrios revealed them to be uh, in the years of 2014 to 2018. Spoiler, they be doing better than they were in those years.
0: Yes. They have done a very successful job of creating a moat around them. A, I need to really go revisit my, my, the George Barrios isms. The, uh, the bingo squares, yes. I was going to say, it's a home game. <laughs> it comes with you. So uh, check out all of that as well. You can go to uh, postwrestlingcafe.com. And uh, starting this weekend, it is our G1 coverage. There will be coverage of every single G1 show beginning Saturday. We've got Karen Peterson and Bruce Lord that will be going through night one. And then Way and I will be doing a free show on Sunday going over night number two of the G1. So you can jump on board and follow throughout the summer. You can also get in your picks, postwrestling.com slash G1, free mine to in. enter. You have submitted, I have yes. to do my my picks. So you can join Brandon Thurston and many others, uh, free to enter, make all of your picks throughout the G1, and we will see how everybody fares. I, I had a decent showing last year. I'm hoping I do better this year. This is a, it's always a tough tournament to book. You know, I was thinking for a WrestleLomics subject, I imagine the G1 is going to
1: be running a lot of the same cities or even the same buildings as it was last year mm-hmm. to do a, a market to market comparison. Cause I think capacity in both years, both this year and last year is going to be pretty unlimited, right?
0: I think so. Yes. Yeah. yeah I don't think there's any restrictions at this point. And I don't and there, think there were too many last year. If any. So it'll be an interesting project to, to look at that. Yeah. Do, do you sense like G1 interest, like with, just more hours of AEW. What impact do you think that's going to have on a, a G1 from someone that maybe was a you know kept up on it pretty regularly in years past? Do you think that the just the North American output is such now that this is going to be it's going to be fewer and fewer that are watching non WWE non AEW wrestling? I don't know if I'm the best person to, to answer this. You probably I don't watch a ton of
1: the content. I, I know you guys have been talking about this. There's there's so much, and there is. Um I don't know that I watched any of the G1 last year. I don't know. I since the pandemic, I I I've really, you know, it's really interrupted my how much I've watched New Japan. Um I did I I have unsubscribed from New Japan World only early this year. I'm I thought about it and I'm thinking about resubscribing. I probably will. We'll see. Um if it's really great and people really talk about it, I think people will will watch it and maybe there's a little bit of a, a tailwind from the emergence of social media and the internet. Um, I know that's a lot of that has already been saturated. There's not a huge, huge uptick in that. Um, but if it's good enough, I think people will watch it, but it doesn't help. I mean, it, it hasn't helped new Japan at all that, that AEW exists. <laughs> it's, it's probably the best thing for them at this point to partner with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, new Japan was in a far better position before the pandemic and before, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and other people worked
0: elsewhere. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's just a long term question I have. And and it might be proven wrong that like these other companies, they can find their audiences. But I just I just see it being just a further struggle for your kind of secondary and like just looking at this weekend alone, you have big triple mania event. TNA has got its biggest show of the year You've got the G1. It's um you've got a three-hour AEW block on Saturday nights. And this is just, you know, a regular weekend in the middle of July. And, you know, I just think that any of these events on their own, they would command that more attention, the more likelihood of yeah. some buzz coming out. And that's that's sort of what they're relying on, is like that word of mouth that the big match is on this show that you have to go check out. Like how much is it unlike?
1: I, I'm tempted to make this analogy and realizing it's not a perfect analogy, but how much is is it unlike you know, if, if you're a big fan of the NFL or the NBA or whatever sport, you're not watching every game, obviously. No. You're watching a lot of it, but you're certainly not expected to watch every game to follow it or to understand, to be really, you know, in, in touch with what's happening is how how much is wrestling different in that way, right? Like, I, I know people will make the argument, well, I just can't keep up with what's happening in WWE or, or with another show of AEW. I'm just not going to be able to keep up with it. It's going to overwhelm me. Um, are we at that point where like you, you don't have to watch all you you can watch, you know, one, one of the shows per week and y- you still get what's happening.
0: Yeah, no, I think that there is, I would say the difference in the NFL comparison is that like each market has its fan base. And I would look at like, certainly the stories ha- within the team, I suppose. Yeah, right. Like AEW WWE, they have very healthy fan bases that might just consume those. I would argue that I don't know if there's just a contingent of impact wrestling, like forget everything else. Our walls are up. We watch impact on Thursday nights. Like to me, they are drawing from an audience that when they can fit it into their schedule, they're watching impact. If they can fit it in, they will order an impact pay-per-view. And I I would go across the board of a lot of companies at that impact level that they are drawing from. I think, I think new
1: Japan is, is, is a bit beyond what impact is. I think there are people who, you know,
0: in fact i I would put on like that third level new japan is second and whatever you want to like uh you know obviously we know what one and two are for for most people but yeah it's just that level of you know it's like a triple mania for instance is you know it's it that certainly does have its core audience that is watching but these triple mania shows they rely on people that are only watching a couple maybe one show a year um and is that person necessarily jumping in to watch this when they're just they're they're keeping up with with more stuff th- than ever so and, and to an extent there is finite
1: media space in terms of let's say post-wrestling you know, it would be easier to cover triple mania if there wasn't
0: the g1 and five hours of AEW and and so forth well we we have to go deep on the on the stuff. we got a we got a deep bench so uh you can check out all of that you Cena, he watches everything he does. That man watches everything. So there you go. That is going to wrap things up. A big thank you to Stephanie Chase for joining us and uh, for you as well, Brandon. We will have a show next week. So originally, the Dark Side of the Ring schedule had listed Bash at the Beach 2000 for next week. Um, but now changed. it is listed for two weeks from now. This is so, breaking news to me. Yes. Um, it was breaking news to me yesterday. So when that show airs that week, we will be having David Vixenspan on Pollock and Thurston. He's committed. He has committed, so he will jump on with us, and we will go into WCW 2000, um, the Hogan-Vince Russo debacle that was Bash at the Beach 2000, the legal case that followed, and the demise of WCW in 2000, which uh, David Bixenspan and Chris Zellner have done some excellent deep dives into. So it'll be a great time to uh, catch up with David Bixenspan on the show. Yes, so we'll figure out something next week, unless you need a week off, because this is a lot of content, I know. Well, we will... uh, we'll see who's out there. We've uh we we we've thrown out some offers. We will see if uh if if anyone bites and uh and comes on to to the show. We have uh put out some asks out there, but yes, we will uh connect to the heavy hitters, some, some pretty big asks out there. We'll see we'll see we'll see what fish we're able to catch. Yes, yeah, so we tried uh yeah, we 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 we're always out there trying. We're trying. Yes. We'll see we'll see if we can pull in the big sharks. But that is it for us. Thank you for tuning in and have a great week.